So it turns out that fasting works best when you're dealing with conditions that are caused or aggravated by dietary excess. So obviously that includes obesity and high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, autoimmune diseases, and also some conditions, uh, certain types of cancer like lymphoma. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 260. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Hey, veggie lover, welcome to another episode in the fasting series. Now, this series is intended to provide education about the potential health and longevity benefits of different forms of fasting, including time-restricted eating, intermittent fasting, and extended water-only fasting. Please be aware that in this series, we will be discussing different forms of fasting and food restriction. And in some cases, there will be references to body size and weight. This material and these methods are not appropriate for children, pregnant people, or people with certain medical conditions. Please do not attempt these practices without medical supervision, as it could be very dangerous. These concepts may also be triggering for people with disordered eating or eating disorders, so please practice discretion before listening to these episodes. Thank you, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. Dr. Alan Goldhammer is our guest for this episode of the fasting series on Veggie Doctor Radio. Now, Dr. Alan Goldhammer is amazing, and he is one of the world's leading experts on medically supervised water-only fasting. He's articulate, inspiring, and energetic, and he is a frequent lecturer and speaker on fasting diet and treatment of chronic diseases to achieve optimum health. In 1984, Dr. Goldhammer founded and became director of the True North Health Center in Santa Rosa, California. Since then, he has supervised the fasting and care of more than 20,000 patients. True North Health is a multidiscipline practice that includes doctors of medicine, osteopathy, chiropractic, naturopathy, and psychology. Its healthcare providers treat patients with conditions ranging from high blood pressure and diabetes to autoimmune disorders and lymphoma. The center is the largest facility in the world specializing in medically supervised water-only fasting and one of the premier training facilities for doctors to gain certification in the supervision of therapeutic fasting. True North Health utilizes a nutritional medicine approach based on an exclusively whole plant food diet free of added salt, oil, and sugar, SOS. The center is affiliated with the True North Health Foundation, whose mission is to expand evidence-based knowledge of how medically supervised water-only fasting and diet impact human health, trains clinicians in the use of these interventions, and share its findings with researchers and the public. 
Dr. Goldhammer is the author of the Health Promoting Cookbook and co-author of The Pleasure Trap, Mastering the Hidden Force that Undermines Health and Happiness. He is also the principal author of two landmark studies that showed evidence of the benefits of water-only fasting, as well as numerous case reports published in peer-reviewed index journals evaluating the effects of water-only fasting in the treatment of a variety of conditions. This is an amazing episode, and we really hear it from Dr. Goldhammer. He He's a straight talker. He tells it like it is. And I think some of the key takeaways for me is that one, if you're going to do an extended fast, fasting should be medically supervised for a variety of reasons. He offers a lot of different resources. If you cannot travel to True North Health Center, but you have a physician who is willing to help facilitate your medically supervised fast where you live, or there might be other fasting centers that are closer to you, they can help you find those. Definitely listen to the episode for that information. Also, uh, Dr. Goldhammer says that everyone should fast every day for 12 to 16 hours. And so he talks more about that and how that can be done. But remember, food and our lifestyle habits, that's what really matters the most. So if you feel like you don't have that dialed in, that's a good place to start, to eat a whole plant food diet, to eliminate the salt, oil, and sugar. If you think that that is leading to dietary excess for you and that dietary excess is leading to your health condition. And eating added salt, oil, and sugar is so delicious, but it can be contributing to increased uh, likelihood of excess energy intake in our diets. You know, we're learning in this fasting series about energy toxicity and how some of these habits that we have can lead to these conditions. And just like Dr. Goldhammer said, when you get to the point where you're having pain and disability and fear of death, premature death, I would say, it motivates you. It motivates you to do things differently. So I am very appreciative and grateful for Dr. Goldhammer for sharing his wisdom and his experience 40 years of running the True North Health Center. It's amazing. And I hope someday that I can go there and learn from him and also do an extended fast myself in a medically supervised environment. I hope that you really enjoy this episode. So let's go. Dr. Alan Goldhammer, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. What a pleasure it is to have you on today. It's glad to be here. I am so excited to learn more about fasting from you because you are one of the world's foremost experts and what a joy it is to have you here on the West Coast and so close by. Before we talk about fasting though, I would love to hear your story about how you discovered and adopted a plant-based diet. Uh, yeah, you know, I was interested even as a young kid, uh, fourth, fifth grade, that kind of thing in in uh, health. And try, I was actually trying to be a better basketball player. I was trying to beat my friend, Doug Lyle. But uh, so I read some books. And one of the books I read was a guy by Herbert Shelton. And he made a lot of sense because he said that health was the result of healthful living and that it involved diet, sleep and exercise. That if you adopted a whole plant food diet and you exercised vigorously and you got enough sleep that, you know, health was the inevitable and natural consequence. And he also talked about fasting 
as a way of giving the body a chance to undo the consequences of dietary excess, that people would eat too much, they'd get fat, they'd develop metabolic syndrome, then they would die from heart disease, cancer, diabetes, or, or infectious diseases or other problems. And that if you used fasting, you could give the body a chance to undo some of the consequences that dietary excess accumulated over time. And so it all made sense. And I uh, became interested in, and began to adopt those principles uh, at a very young age. So it sounds like you learned about fasting at that point too. At what point did you either practice it yourself or decide to integrate it as part of your career? Well, you know, when I was um, uh, a little bit older, I decided that I was going to pursue kind of an alternative medicine uh, career. Uh, I had met a guy named Alec Burton from Australia who did fasting supervision uh, when I was about 16. And I told him that I wanted to learn about that. And he told me that, well, you first you become a doctor and then you, you know, let me know and we'll make arrangements for you to get training. And seven years later, I called him up and said, hey, I'm ready. And he said, you know, who are you? And I said, I'm the guy you said if I went to school, you'd train. And he goes, oh, did I? But anyway, he did let me come to Australia. Uh, I went to the Pacific College of Osteopathic Medicine there after I completed uh, chiropractic training in the United States. And I got to see several hundred patients actually do something that I, I wasn't prepared for, and that was get well. Because, you know, as you know, under conventional training, most people uh, never recover. If you're treating people with high blood pressure, diabetes, autoimmune diseases, you know, they're going to be on meds the rest of their life. They're never going to get well. Uh, and that's just how it is. Here, I saw them getting well. Uh, and I remember my uncle, who is a medical doctor, uh, I called him. I said, uncle, you know, I'm seeing these patients with chronic hypertension get well. And he says, no, you're not. I said, yeah, no, I am. I'm seeing, I'm measuring their blood pressure. I see what it's at. He says, and you don't know how to measure blood pressure. Because he said, he's been in practice for 50 years and they never get well. He was very vehement about it. And uh, nonetheless, you know, that's what my observation was. These patients were actually recovering. But they were having to do really dangerous and radical things like, you know, eat well, exercise, go to bed on time, and, and in this case, uh, undergo fasting. And so when we, uh, my wife and I, Dr. Jennifer Morano and I came back to the United States, we opened up True North Health Center. And that was in 1984. So we're coming up to almost 40 years of doing this. We've had 25,000 patients undergo fasting. And so far, everybody that's walked in has walked out and we're trying real hard to maintain that safety record. That is incredible and amazing. I just kind of want to backtrack a little bit to highlight the uniqueness of your personality, though. You're an incredibly goal-oriented and focused person. <laughs> so you started learning about plant-based nutrition, like the fourth grade, when most kids are just like doing Legos and stuff like that. So do you think that is this something that you observed with your family? What, what do you think interested you in health at such a young age? Well, I know my uncle was a medical doctor and he inspired me because uh, when I was, I remember when I was 16, I announced to my family that I had decided to pursue this kind of alternative medicine career. And he said, no, I was not going to pursue an alternative medicine career, that nobody in our family went to doctors like that, let alone became doctors like that. He said, better you should be a communist spy. And he was, I thought I was going to witness my first stroke, you know, his veins. And so my dad, who was pretty serious, took me aside after my uncle left. And he said, son, you know, I don't know anything about alternative medicine. He said, but anything that should make him so angry and mad, it can't be bad. So you stick to your guns and good luck to you. 
<laughs> I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> okay. Well, awesome. That's great. So let's get on to the topic of fasting. What are the medical conditions that commonly respond well to fasting? What are the things that you're seeing over and over and over again at True North? So it turns out that fasting works best when you're dealing with conditions that are caused or aggravated by dietary excess. So obviously that includes obesity and high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, autoimmune diseases, and also some conditions, uh, certain types of cancer like lymphoma. So I would say 80% of our patient base are either uh, people motivated by pain, debility, and fear of death because they have diabetes, hypertension, autoimmune diseases, or cancer, or they're healthy people that have decided to use fasting as a preventative measure uh, at maintaining optimum health. And so we see kind of a mix of patients. Most of them still though are generated and motivated by the fact they have illnesses that they want to overcome, medications they want to get off of, uh, uh, and a visceral fat that they need to eliminate. How do these patients typically learn about you? Are there other medical practitioners now that are starting to learn more about fasting and refer, or do most people self-refer, hear from their friends and family? How do they find you? Well, we've had 25,000 patients come through the clinic. So our biggest source of patients right now are people that have been through the clinic that refer their friends and family. We also have several hundred doctors that have participated in our internship and residency training programs. And these doctors um, go out into practice and then they will often refer their uh, patients because they've seen, you know, what happens. We have a book called The Pleasure Trap that's done very well. And, and people read that book and learn about fasting. And oftentimes that's a source of referral. I've also uh, done a lot of podcasts and lectures over the years, including one uh, with Rich Roll, which was very successful. And as a consequence, we've had, you know, several million people view that. And uh, that's generated a lot of uh, interest as well, as, as well as, you know, I've been lecturing for, you know, several decades now. So I've talked to a lot of people. I also teach at a lot of the school's uh, electives on fasting. And so those doctors, when they get into practice, oftentimes will refer their patients. What we don't do is any kind of advertising or marketing. We have a clinic that's managed to maintain itself uh, without any of that type of stuff. And so, you know, we're very pleased to uh, have a busy clinic that, that, that keeps itself full. How do you feel like the typical doctor or healthcare provider reacts when they hear about what you do at True North Health Center? Well, up till recently, what we do was, I think, considered by most people to be criminal quackery. It was like insane. Uh, didn't believe you could actually do it, or if you could do it, why would you want to do it? It couldn't possibly be good. Most people thought if they got on a plane in New York and they flew all the way to California, they would die over Colorado if they didn't eat those pretzels on the plane. They think that <laughs> the pretzels saved their life. But now we've, been, we've changed from being criminal quacks to cutting edge researchers because fasting has gained some notoriety. People like Walter Longo and others have published in major impact journals. And the True North Health Foundation, which is our 501c3 nonprofit, organization that operates the True North Health Center has been successful at publishing a number of papers in major impact journals. And as a consequence, I think there's more uh, understanding that people are getting sick and dying needlessly from dietary excess consequences, and that fasting may be perhaps one of the most effective ways of reversing the consequences of dietary excess. Yeah, it's amazing to 
see where we've gotten into our culture and our society that we're eating an average of seven times per day. And you're right, as a mother with children, having kids and going to sporting events, it's like, okay, here's your before game snack, your middle game snack, your after game snack. It's, it's like constant eating. And so going from what we perceive as normal currently, which is eating seven plus times a day to not eating at all does seem very extreme to most people. Like that seems very, quote, unnatural. Well, when 70.9% of the population are now overweight or obese, just not being fat is abnormal. Correct, because it's it's the common state, right? To be a certain body size. Average or normal, you don't want to be normal. <laughs> you want to be healthy. Healthy people are not overweight. They don't have diseases of dietary excess, but 70 plus percent of the population now does. And it's not coincidental that conditions like juvenile onset, that used to be uh, uh, what was called adult onset diabetes is now occurring in epidemic proportions amongst our, our children. It's not uh, surprising that 40% of people over 25 are now hypertensive and that uh, something around 63% of people over 60 are now hypertensive. This isn't normal. Yeah. It's average, but it's not. It's certainly not healthy. It's the typical finding, but it's not the ideal finding. So can you give us a little primer on how does fasting work? Why is it helping to alleviate these conditions? And then maybe after that, what's the average fasting length that you would prescribe to a patient? Or does it just depend on the condition or the patient? How does that typically work? Well, fasting ranges from five to 40 days in a controlled medically supervised setting. And I want to point out that these long-term fasts that we're talking about are done under direct medical supervision. It's important that there be a proper medical history and exam to determine who's a good candidate for fasting. Not everybody's a good candidate for fasting. You also need to establish baseline laboratory data, physical exam data, so you can tell the difference between a healing crisis, which can be very good, and a problem. So there are concerns with fasting things. You, you have to be able to regulate and, and monitor hydration, electrolyte status, et cetera, in order to ensure that it's safe and effective. Fasting, when it's done right, is safe and can be effective. But when it's not done right, it can be a serious problem. People can get into trouble, particularly for people that are fasting that shouldn't be fasting. People that are on medications that need to be appropriately weaned prior to fasting. People that have conditions that contraindicate fasting. Uh, so it's important that history exam and lab be done as a baseline and that fasting be done in a controlled setting. Uh, people would not be doing long-term fasting, going to work, driving automobiles, or engaging in these normal activities. They're doing this in a controlled setting where they're seen twice a day by doctors or evaluated carefully uh, with blood and urine testing and physical examination parameters so that they can get through that process safely, effectively. Now, we take advantage of the time that people are undergoing fasting to do what I call, oh, they call education, I call brainwashing, which is basically trying to get people to understand the diet and lifestyle changes that they're gonna to need to make when they're done fasting so they can sustain the results. There's nothing uh, about fasting that eliminates the need to make the necessary diet and lifestyle changes if you wanna sustain long-term success. And in our clinic, we advocate a whole plant food SOS-free diet. SOS, of course, is the international symbol of danger, and it stands for the chemicals that are added to feed that make people fat, sick, and miserable. And those chemicals include salt, oil, and sugar. 
salt, oil, and sugar are not food. They're actually hyper-concentrated food byproducts. They're added to food in order to stimulate dopamine production in the brain and uh, make food, quote, taste better and induce more pleasure response. The problem is it's a drug-like effect. And if you use those drugs in your food, you can become addicted to food just like people become addicted to alcohol and drugs and other problems. And that literally you're having to continue to eat these hyper-concentrated foods, not just to feel good, but to avoid feeling very bad, the hallmark of addiction. So even though it may not be as potent per dose as, say, something like cocaine, it's the same neurochemical pathways. It's the same artificial stimulation to dopamine in the brain, dopamine being the neurochemical associated with pleasure. And so it's not surprising that when you feed human beings foods with these chemicals added to it, that they will be, have developed eating-related disorders and obesity. And that's why 70% of people are overweight. It's because of the way we manipulate our feed. For example, in nature, you find no obese animals unless they're given um, modern hyper-concentrated hyper foods. Even whales are only 9% body fat, so they're lean, mean machines. They just happen to wear their fat on the outside of their body. But if you take uh, domesticated animals or wild animals, rats and mice, for example, if you give them access to these chemicals, they'll gain 49% of their body weight in 60 days. The birds will get so fat they can't fly. This isn't psychological problems. This isn't, you know, People, uh, animals under stress. This is an, a physiological consequence of fooling the satiety mechanisms of the brain with chemicals that are added to the feed. You take those chemicals away and people progressively lose weight down to their optimum weight. Fasting is a way of is rebooting that cycle. Mm -hmm. So it's like rebooting the hard drive in the computer that becomes corrupted. You turn it off, you turn it on, you don't know why, but now the darn thing starts working better. Same thing with humans. If you shut off their metabolic uh, mechanisms, you shut it down with fasting, you turn it back on with a healthy diet, and it's a remarkable how well the body is able to heal mm -hmm. itself. So you're seeing fasting as a pathway to continuing a healthy diet that supports health and healing. It's important to start pre-fasting to do a healthy diet, after fasting to do a healthy diet. The whole point is to get a healthy diet and lifestyle. Diet, sleep, and exercise are the key to sustaining health. Fasting is just a tool, a facilitating tool, to help you undo the consequences of dietary excess. Sometimes it's hard to get good adherence for patients if they feel like crap all the time. Mm -hmm. But if you can fast them and get them out of pain, get them off their medications, reboot their system, now their willingness to eat a whole plant food SOS-free diet is enhanced. And interesting, we've, we've done some research, not only what happens to people during fasting, for example, showing that fasting is safe by doing a fasting safety study, showing that fasting is effective by looking at uh, conditions like hypertension, diabetes, autoimmune diseases. But now we have follow-up data, uh, six-week follow-up and one-year follow-up data showing not only can people get well, they can stay well, they can maintain their weight loss and their drug-free state, and they can sustain that over the long long period of time. As far as I know, that's one of the few uh, studies that's been done that really does have good long-term outcome using alternative medicine. We're very excited about that because frankly, the outcome data was better than I expected. We had a better long-term adherence than I was anticipating because you know, it's difficult living in a world designed to make you fat, sick, and miserable and overcoming those social and uh, biological uh, challenges and sustaining a healthy diet and lifestyle. This is perhaps one of the most difficult thing patients are ever asked to do. Yeah, definitely. But I guess what you were saying before is that some of these patients at least are highly motivated by the fact that they don't want to be in pain anymore. They want to be able to function and live life to the optimum, hang out with their friends and family and, and do those things. So oh, yeah. it is something that maybe is tying them to that. Pain, debility, and fear of death are definitely highly motivating 
uh, factors that improve adherence. Uh, what's interesting, though, is that also health can be a motivating factor. So healthy people that want to stay healthy. We recently have a study that we're, it's in review right now where we looked at healthy people and what happened to their biomarkers during fasting. And what was interesting is as much as the, we see improvements in sick people, in some biomarkers, the proportional change is actually higher in healthy people, even than sick people. It may turn out that the people that get the very most benefit from fasting are actually healthy people that are using fasting to stay healthy, not just sick people that are looking to recover their health. Wow. It's like you took the word straight out of my mouth because that was exactly my next question is how often do you recommend patients fast just for maintenance of health? I recommend everybody fast every day for between 12 and 16 hours. We recommend people limit their feeding window to between eight and 12 hours, depending if you're trying to gain weight or lose weight or what your circumstances are. If you don't eat three to four hours before you go to bed at night and you delay your breakfast until you do some vigorous exercise in the morning, you'll have a period of somewhere between 12 and 16 hours of fasting each and every day. And people like Walter Longo believe that cumulatively, short periods of fasting may benefit in biochemical changes that occur over the long run. And then what we do in addition to that is occasionally, when it's appropriate, take a person out of their environment, put them into a medically supervised setting and fast them from, for between five and 40 days on water only. And we believe that that also not only has direct benefit, but cumulative benefit, that you induce metabolic changes, you induce uh, biochemical changes um, that are cumulative. So just like an athlete that goes out and, and stimulates glyconogenolysis uh, with exercise and you get better and better at canalizing those pathways, that's exactly what happens for macro and micronutrient mobilization during fasting. So every time you fast, whether it's a short fast of 16 hours or a longer fast for two or three or four weeks, you kick in an enzyme system, a pathway of detoxification and micro and macro and micronutrient mobilization that is persistent after fasting. So you get better at lipolysis, you get better at gluconeogenesis, you get better at inducing these enzymatic pathways and fasting like exercise. Interestingly enough, if you look at the changes that occur with exercise, like increased BDNF, brain drove neurotrophic factor, the chemical that prevents uh, both rats and humans from getting Alzheimer's disease, that uh, minimizes damage from oxidative damage to the, to the neurons. Those changes occur with exercise, but they also occur with fasting. In fact, almost everything that occurs with exercise also occurs with fasting. And that's not intuitively obvious because in fasting, you have to be resting to minimize gluconeogenesis and to maximize fat loss, particularly visceral fat loss. In exercise, you're vigorous and active. Why would those two very desperate activities have the same effect on neurochemical pathways? And it may be because both of them have one thing in common. Both exercise and fasting undo the consequences of dietary excess. And when you undo the consequences of dietary excess, if you happen to be a rat, you can double your lifespan just with systematic underfeeding or periodic fasting. Live twice as long. Another way of looking at that is not that the rats that are periodically fasting live twice as long, but the rats that are fed ad libitum eat, live half as long because dietary excess leads to the diseases that cause premature death and disability. And all you're doing with fasting is trying to undo the consequences of dietary excess. Yeah, that's that's very amazing to hear that. And it is it's so powerful, just like you were saying in our society, because we do the opposite and it's very difficult to not do it. So for some people, it seems very extreme 
well, is it extreme to tell an alcoholic that they have to not drink at all? <laughs> I mean, shouldn't we just tell them to have beer and wine on the weekend? Shouldn't we tell the alcoholic, if you don't want to be a drunk, just get a spoon and drink your alcohol with a spoon and then put your spoon down between each slurp and you won't be a drunk anymore. You don't want to tell them they can't have any alcohol. That seems so radical, so extreme. But the reality is that just like we know, we don't tell alcoholics to just drink beer and wine because we know it doesn't work. The only thing that works with alcoholics is to figure out a strategy each and every day to not drink. And if you do that, you win. Well, if you have overweight people and you tell them, well, just eat less. Yeah, that works really well. Or you can say, put your food on a smaller plate and put your fork down between each bite and you won't be fat anymore. But that doesn't work. What works is to get rid of the neurochemical stimulation that comes from the salt, oil, and sugar that fools your brain's tiny mechanisms so they won't be overweight anymore and suffer the consequences of obesity. And the answer to that is to get rid of those chemicals, not to try to eat less of them or pretend that you're going to be able to regulate it. Now, just like some people can have a glass of wine and not become a drunk, if you're a drunk, it's not you. And some people might be able to eat indulgent foods and not gain overweight. But if you're already overweight, it's not you. If you could have regulated it, you would have regulated it. It's not like you haven't been trying with all your might and all your effort. The reality is you have to accept the understanding that some of the people don't, aren't able to fully control when they fool their brain's mechanisms with these chemicals. If you just get rid of the chemicals, you get rid of the problem. It's not rocket science. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. What about contraindications to fasting? You mentioned a few before, people on certain medications. Are there any other that are pretty straightforward contraindications yeah. to fasting? Well, one obvious kind of, uh, relative contraindication is pregnancy and lactation. If you're lactating, you go on a long fast, you're going to lose milk production. That's not good for baby. Uh, anorexia nervosa is a condition where patients want to fast, but fasting doesn't help treat this neurological condition. And, and so it would be a relative contraindication. Uh, diabetes type 1, if you don't make enough insulin, you're not going to be able to adapt to fasting well. Although type 2 diabetics that make enough insulin, in fact, make more insulin, but it's not uh, because of insulin resistance, it doesn't work. Fasting is fabulous because it reduces insulin resistance. Unlike the drugs that are used to uh, push glucose across the membrane, fasting actually corrects the underlying insulin resistance and can be very helpful, but not if you don't produce insulin. If your parents gave you cow's milk and your body's immune system destroyed your islets of Langerhans as a consequence, or you had a virus as a kid that took out your islets of Langerhans, you don't produce insulin, fasting uh, uh, and water only may not be for you. If Patients have had a stroke, MI, pulmonary embolism, DVT recently, and they're on anticoagulant therapy. We're not going to fast on anticoagulant therapy, and we wouldn't just arbitrarily discontinue anticoagulant therapy. So until they've had a year post-episode and they're stabilized off their medication, they would have to do modified fasting rather than water-only fasting uh, to avoid uh, potential complications. If you have atrial fibrillation, again, you're on anticoagulant therapy, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to just arbitrarily discontinue that therapy and then do something that has a, has a physiologically dehydrating component to it uh, and potentially, at least theoretically, increase your risk uh, for clot or problem. If you have severe kidney disease, the kidneys are the main detoxifying organ uh, involved with fasting. If, you, if your creatinine levels are over two, if your GFR is too low, if you're not clearing well enough, water only fasting may be too vigorous. 
risk, and you could shut those kidneys down and create a problem. So we monitor uh, kidney function carefully during fasting. If you have a genetic defect like por porphyria uh, or MCAD, medium chain acetylcholine A dehydrogenase deficiency, and you can't break down fatty acids, you can't do fasting safely, you would start vomiting and then you'd die, and that would be really bad for our outcome data. So we <laughs> exclude anybody that has those types of genetic defects, and we test everybody uh, to make sure that there's not a problem. If you have deficiency, depletion, or cachexia, if you're in the end stage of the cachexic disease, fasting, you know, you might go out comfortably, but you're, you're not going to live longer. You're going to live shorter than you would. So uh, we don't use, we don't do hospice type care with fasting. I know many places, or not many, but there are people that have used fasting successfully in that kind of capacity. That's not something we do at the clinic. We have a strict rule at the True North Health Center. If you walk in, you have to be able to walk out. And so, you know, we only take people that we expect to have uh, good outcomes in that regard. If you are, are on medications that cannot be safely weaned off, you cannot fast until you're able to improve your health enough to wean off those medications. Most people are not medicated for their condition. They're medicated for their diet. And so the moment you change the diet, you have to start changing the medication. If you change the diet aggressively enough, you can get most people off most medications safely and successfully, especially conditions like diabetes and high blood pressure, autoimmune diseases, because these patients are, are medicated for the diet that they're eating to regulate their symptoms. Not, it has nothing to do with curing their problem. That's why they tell you, oh, you'll be on drugs for the rest of your life. They'll guarantee you, you'll never get well if you follow their advice. And if you cannot rest, you cannot fast safely, which means you don't fast if you can't take time off work and rest. You're not going to be fasting if you're driving around. You're certainly not going to be fasting exercising because although you lose more weight, that weight would not be fat. It would be protein from the breakdown of uh, uh, protein from a gluconeogenesis. If you want to maximize fat loss and particularly visceral fat loss, the fat that accumulates around the organs and the belly, the most important thing is to make sure you're fasting in a resting state. That maximizes fat and particularly visceral fat loss. In fact, it's interesting in a study we did recently with a DEXA scanner, and we looked at patients and what happens to the body composition with fasting. What we found was that people lose protein, fiber, water, glycogen, and fat during fasting. And after fasting, they regain weight. But the weight they regain was water, glycogen, fiber, and protein, not fat. The fat continued to come off on a whole plant food diet. And not only did the fat come off, but preferentially visceral fat. So a, a person fasting 15 days might lose 20% of their total body fat, but more than 50% of their visceral fat. And at six weeks after fasting, their lean tissue was actually higher than baseline. Bone mass was the same. And what had been lost was fat and preferentially visceral fat. So it's a way of reconstituting the body composition when it's done properly. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's incredible. And, you know, you are saying that a lot of these conditions are due to dietary excess. And obviously for a lot of people, not everybody, dietary excess can also be associated or lead to obesity. But I know that in some of these cases, especially with hypertension, even after changing the diet for a few days and fasting for a few days, we're already seeing significant drops in the blood pressure. So is it just yeah. the removal of those 
you know, the chemical like substance in the food that that's that's happening because, you know, there hasn't been such a significant weight loss yet in those first few days. Well, it's not the it's not the weight that's the main problem. It's the diet that makes you fat. It's not being overweight. It's it's the diet. As soon as you change the diet, diabetes, hypertension, autoimmune starts correcting. In fact, you know, you don't have if you let's say you're substantially overweight, you don't have to lose all that fat to get out of pain and, and off your meds. It'll happen relatively quickly. It's because the, the fat itself isn't the problem. That's a normal uh, cumulative of, uh, of excess to help you survive periods of vulnerability. The ability to store fat is a that's a winter gene. That's a good thing to be able to do that. Um, the problem is the diet that allows you to do that excessively is the diet that gives you high blood pressure. So yes, you do not have to fast to normalize these conditions. Fasting is just a great facilitator at making those happen. In fact, we have a problem now. Because the True North Health Center books out so far, we often have a lag before we can get people in. So we'll enroll a person in a hypertension study, but by the time they come in, if they've been working with our doctors through telemedicine, they're often already normotensive <laughs> before we even get them. It messes up their ability to enroll in actually in the study because some people will respond so quickly. Now, some people, despite making their best efforts with diet, will still have persistent problems. And that's usually who we're seeing. If they can respond to diet alone, oftentimes, you know, they, they're doing that with their, their, uh, their doctor, their functional medicine doctors that are, that are advising them. But once in a while, you'll have a person, despite their best efforts, either they have trouble doing the diet or they're doing the diet, but it's not working quickly enough. I know my colleague, John McDougall, often will send us patients and he, and he will tell them and apologize to them before he does. He'll say, I am so sorry to do this to you, but you know, because you're blood pressure is persistently high, you're going to have to go over to Goldhammer's place. So good luck to you. you know? <laughs> so it's he, like we're like the punishment for somebody that doesn't come well quickly enough. But no, most things, it's diet, sleep, and exercise. So if you can do the diet, you just do it long enough to get well. If you need help getting the person to the point where they can do the diet or they've done the diet, but it's not enough, then we lock them up and, and do what we do at the True North Health Center. They call us the last resort. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Honestly, to me, it sounds like heaven because you get to go to lectures and see cooking classes all day. I mean, it sounds great to me. I love it. Are there any conditions that you know for sure do not respond to fasting? I know that fasting has become more popular and, and people feel like it can be used for anything and it cures everything. Are there things that people think that it can cure, but it doesn't? I disagree. I don't think it cures anything. I don't think the concept of cure itself is even a valid concept. Like you can't cure obesity. You can lose the weight and keep it off, but you go back to doing the things that cost it. It's coming back. You can't cure hypertension. You can normalize your blood pressure and you can sustain it indefinitely, but it's not cured because you go back to doing the things that cause it, it's coming back. Type two diabetes, same thing. You can manage it, but you can't cure it. And the same thing with cancer. So you might go into remission in the sense that there's no detectable cancer cells, but you go back to doing the things that cause it, it's coming back, I'll guarantee you. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe in the concept of cure. What I believe in is that you can manage a condition and give the body a chance to bring things under control to the point where hopefully you become asymptomatic and hopefully sustain that uh, through your normal lifespan. Uh, but uh, this concept of cure, I think, is very misleading because the implication is you, once you're, quote, cured, you can go back to doing whatever you want and get away with it. And, you know, that's one of the false premises of modern medicine is this some pill potion or powder is going to help you overcome the laws of physics and thermodynamics, and now you can do whatever the hell you want to. Mm -hmm. Very appealing, but I, I think it's a false premise. 
However, I can tell you that there are, are conditions that don't respond well to fasting. You know, I mentioned some earlier. Uh, conditions, cachexic conditions, depletion conditions, conditions that are not contributed to by dietary excess are less likely to respond to fasting. Um, the conditions that respond the best are these conditions. You know, the 80, 85% of conditions that are killing people prematurely in, in modern society, those are the ones that respond the best. That's very important to know, especially to make a distinction between cure or allowing your body the chance to manage a condition by giving it the opportunity to step in and balance things while you're still avoiding. But if you go back to that same lifestyle, those same habits, it's still there under the surface. So you can get those same symptoms again. Right. That's why we, we tie so much education to the fasting experience, because we have to get people in order to make long-term outcome data. We need adherence, adherence to diet, sleep, and exercise. So we emphasize that. Um, and it's a great opportunity because patients who have time to really do some introspection and, and fasting tends to facilitate that. That's why it's interesting that the Jews, the Jains, the Hindus, the Muslims, Christians, all these organizations that often vehemently oppose each other's belief systems have one thing in common, and that's the respect for fasting, both for physical and spiritual uh, reality. Because fasting changes how you feel about yourself and the world around you. You can't help it. You know, we're uh, a physical health facility. We're not a spiritually driven facility. We have different doctors of all kinds of different belief systems. Our focus is on healthful living. But the reality is you cannot undergo fasting without it having a profound effect on your mind, your body, and your spirit. You definitely have a lot more time to think if you're not eating, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so um, one thing that's particularly interesting to me is autoimmune conditions. And I feel like in our society and especially in the medical community, there's this belief or this thought that diet has no effect or isn't related at all to autoimmune conditions. So what would be your response to that? And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. 
A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. Well, that's partly because rheumatologists often tell patients that the diet has nothing to do with uh, the condition. And they'll also, by the way, tell people that their, their patients never get well. So it's an you know, interesting coincidence. The reality is that autoimmune diseases are diseases where your immune system attacks your body, autoimmune. So rheumatoid arthritis, ulcerative colitis, ankylosing spondylitis, asthma, eczema, psoriasis, et cetera. These conditions are all, the symptoms you see are all the result of your own immune system attacking your own tissues. And the medical management of it often involves very powerful drugs to shut down the immune system and shut down the attack. And at first it's like a dream because you get relief of pain, but then it becomes a nightmare because it turns out you need your immune system. And when you shut off your immune system, even more difficult problems will eventually develop. And so we don't believe that the use of auto, uh, the medications is the best long-term strategy. Not that there may not be circumstances where short-term man manipulation is necessary, but long-term, the answer is to get rid of the reason why your body is attacking itself. One of the factors is gut leakage. So if you have an inflamed intestinal mucosal membrane, you can absorb peptides or proteins or other materials that stimulate the immune system. And in genetically vulnerable people, the immune system can begin to attack your own tissues. And you just take any condition with an itis on it, and you pretty much have a situation where, whether it's colitis or arthritis, where your body is attacking itself. So rather than shut down the body's defense mechanisms, what we want to do is, well, first, let's get rid of the gut leakage. Let's get rid of the free radical indu induction that induces the changes in the intestinal mucosa that leads the to body to have gut leakage. We do that with fasting. Fasting has nothing going into the gut and have a very powerful stimulation of the acute phase reactive proteins, the other antioxidants. So there's a, a powerful anti-inflammatory effect that occurs with fasting, perhaps more powerful than just about anything. Okay. So then the gut gets to heal. And then afterwards, we stop giving it the free radical rich foods, no smoking, no drinking alcohol, and the peroxidation of alcohol leading to free radicals and cirrhosis in the liver and all the other inflammatory stuff. And that includes you know, things like red wine, organic red wine, and, you know, we also get rid of the fried foods, uh, heated oils, including the virgin olive oil. Uh, and we get rid of basically uh, the foods that people are, that stimulate the dietary pleasure trap, the, the high free radical forming foods. What happens then is the gut gets to heal. As the gut heals, there's less stimulation of the immune system. The immune system gets to be managed and brought under better control. And now the pain goes away and the swelling goes away and the respiratory, the asthma uh, distress eases and you can get rid of the medications and all of their side effects. And as a consequence, people can recover. Now they're stuck eating healthy and living healthy because if they go back to the greasy, fatty, slimy, dead, decaying flesh diet, they're gonna flare their condition up again because they're not curing autoimmune disease, you're managing it. But the results are quite impressive, quite predictable. And for people that have suffered with autoimmune disease, some of them are willing to do anything, even eat well, in order to get and stay healthy. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. I, I can feel that one to my core. How do you determine how long a person is going to fast for? Is it something that you kind of set out an initial plan and then see how it goes? Or do you have typical links for, typical, for different conditions? 
Well, it's hard to know exactly because the, the fast itself is partly diagnostic as well as therapeutic. So with high blood pressure, for example, you fast until the blood pressure is healthy and normal. Um, ideal blood pressure is probably closer to 90 over 60 than 120 over 80. So I can tell by a person's history and their measurements pretty much how long it'll take to normalize their pressure because we've treated so many hundreds and hundreds of patients, we have kind of parameters. But there's always individual variation. So it's going to be somewhere between 5 and 40 days. We don't typically go over 40 days on fasting because you get into a whole other level of complication if you do longer fast, longer than 40 days. Um, sometimes we have to do multiple fasts in order to completely resolve a condition. But you fast basically till the pressure is normal, and then you go and progressively refeed. At the True North Health Center, we offer a service which is basically a free phone conversation with me. So what we do is we have people go onto our website at healthpromoting.com. They complete their registration forms, which gives me their medical history. I review that and then talk with them and give them an idea about what amount of time they're going to need to have a satisfactory result. And also, you know, what things they can do before they come in so that they wouldn't need to be here so long. Uh, and so, you know, typical patient, let's say you have a patient, their blood pressure's, you know, 180 over 110, they're capped out on five medications. They're going to need a longer fast than the person that's 150 over 100 and is on just on hydrochlorothiazide. So we, you know, we, we know just based on experience in that condition, what, what you're looking at. With autoimmune disease, it's a little more difficult. There's a bigger range in terms of how long it takes. Some of it depends on how long they've been on steroids, how much abuse they've taken medically in terms of managing and suppressing their condition. If you get somebody early on before they've been uh, damaged with medical treatment, they often respond quite readily, sometimes just to dietary change. I mean, you know from your own practice, if you can get people to clean up what they put in their mouth, many people are just getting well. That's all there is to it. You don't even have to worry about whether they're going to fast or not. Um, so again, I, I can't give you a really specific answer, but I can tell you that that range is, you know, that five to 40 days. And however long the fast is, we figure about half the length of the fast to recover feed. So if they have a 20-day fast, you know you're going to need about 10 days of recovery. So we'd block a month of time. When people come to the center, there's no penalty for getting done sooner. So if they book six weeks, but they get done in six days, their fee is based on six days, not six weeks. So there's no problem shortening it. It's only difficult lengthening stays just because we booked several months out. So other than that, um, we always kind of guess along just to kind of make sure we don't have any stress of not having space for somebody. Wow. It's incredible. Okay. You've made it very clear that this is very important that it be managed medically Y'all are super thorough. You're seeing patients twice a day. This is a true thing. You're not just like willy nilly, you know, just telling people to stop eating. So, but of course I just have to ask, what is the longest a person can safely fast at home on their own without medical supervision? Right. Well, I believe everybody should fast at home every day for up to 16 hours. And I think if you do that every single day, um, you're going to get cumulative benefits a little bit slower. If you're going to fast more than that, then what you want to do is you have to have history exam and lab data. So you go to your doctor, hopefully a doctor that's a functional medicine type doctor that's familiar with fasting. They would review your history. They would do a physical exam. They would get some laboratory data. And then they could advise you about what you might or might not want to do 
on an extended basis. If a person is going to fast at home, for the reason, I think always recommend go to one of the facilities that specialize in fasting. And if you contact us, we can give you the names of the people that would be closest to you that are doing that kind of work. Or in the alternative, if you're going to do a home fast and you have a cooperative doctor, we have a doctor, uh, uh, doctors on our staff that provide remote support uh, for your doctor and for you. Uh, but you need to have a doctor that's doing the exam and doing the lab and is available to you should problems arise. But our doctors can help advise and coach you and encourage you, you know, through the process. And also, we offer um, advice to any doctor that's interested in understanding the parameters. We've got uh, uh, textbook chapters we can send you. We can help, you know, give you the guidance that you need to get your patients through the fast safely. But you still have to ensure that they're getting rest and they're taking care of business properly. And then, of course, refeeding is very critical, especially in longer fasting. Too rapid a return to alimentation can result in refeeding syndrome and can, be, can create really serious problems, including death. So we want to avoid having anybody um, suffer the consequences of ignorance by doing fasting inappropriately. So that's why longer fasts, I think, are best done under supervision and preferably at a place that's set up for it, or at least with your doctor that's providing you daily consultation and, and availability. Okay. Um, we've been doing more of that lately just because some of our foreign patients can't get into the country still uh, because they're not willing to submit to vaccination. And as a consequence, we've been working with some of their doctors remotely, and it's been working out pretty well. Okay. Good to know. Good to know that there's different resources. We also, I just want, what I'm thinking about if I, if you might, if yeah. you'd let me have just one more minute. Um, if you have doctors out there that are interested in learning how to do this, it's really not rocket science. And we offer free training an internship residency training to doctors. We provide room and board and training. You come to the center, it doesn't cost you anything. We will show you how to do this safely and effectively. And that's all sponsored by the Truman Health Foundation, whose part of its mission is to help train doctors in utilizing these, you know, radical methods. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I would love to do that someday. I'm in the process of expanding my own practice right now, which is why, honestly, I would just go to True North and just, you know, sit there and learn and eat the food. I, I'll just stay there. Can I just like live there? It <laughs> sounds good to me. <laughs> it's great. You know, it's it's great not to have to deal with all the shopping and shopping. Everything's taken care yeah. of for us. It's wonderful. It sounds amazing. Sounds like my my heaven. Um, you've kind of already answered this, but my question, one of my questions was what your thoughts are on time restricted eating or intermittent fasting. And it sounds like it is something that you're a proponent for. How how can people get there at the beginning, especially since we're used to eating seven times a day? Do you recommend them just kind of slowly shortening their feeding window or starting with stopping three hours before bedtime? Kind of how do you advise them start with that? I suggest everybody immediately stop eating three to four hours before they go to sleep mm -hmm. and that they limit their feeding window to that eight to 12 hour window. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if it's two meals or three meals or four meals, you know, as long as what they're eating is whole plant foods um, and you and you limit that feeding window for people that is that that underweight isn't an issue. If, if you're underweight and you're trying to gain weight, you may need a 12 hour window because mm -hmm. these foods are very low in caloric density, very high in nutrient density. So it's hard to gain weight when you're eating these foods, mm -hmm. if you only have an eight hour window. Mm -hmm. So you, you may need a little bit more food or we also with kids, you know, we have a little wider feeding window with kids than we do with adults. But if you're the per person that's trying to sustain weight loss or lose weight, 
narrowing the feeding window may be useful at limiting some of the overeating. And also, you should stop this eating at night where you're not really hungry, but you're tired or fatigued or angry. You want to eat when you're hungry, not because you're mad, angry, or upset. And so a lot of people are eating because they're emotionally stressed and want to feel better. And it has a drug-like effect. That's not a good reason to be eating. So, and that's also one of the things that feeds obesity. It's also why people that are under emotional stress have trouble eating healthy because they're using their diet as a drug-like effect to modulate their mood. And, you know, that's not ideal. So, you know, I also suggest people not have any stress or tension. In fact, I'll give them a letter of exemption so nobody can bother them anymore. Oh, man, can I have one of those? Constant stress is a real problem. (laughs) Well, think about if you're taking stress hormones all the time, you know that causes devastating consequences. Well, constantly being under stress is not a good thing. People driving two hours a day to a job they hate to work with people they despise at the company they detest to make money they don't need because they think they have some short-term pleasure-seeking self-indulgent behavior deficiency syndrome. Not a good idea. Watching the news every day. I mean, it's like all the worst sensationalized, terrible things happening to people every day, just soaking it in and living color. You can watch the news once a month and still be an informed citizen. You don't have to bathe your psychology in all of the distress that's going on around you, especially to the degree it's sensationalized to bang on your nervous system. And maybe you need to get rid of some of the energy vampires in your life, people that do what they do best, and that's make other people as sick and miserable as they are so they don't have to feel so bad by comparison. And surround yourself with people. They don't all have to do exactly what you're doing. They don't all have to eat healthy, but they need to at least tolerate your desire to do so. You know, if you're an alcoholic, the first thing they tell you to do is you got to get rid of the friends that won't support your being sober. And if you're trying to lose weight and keep it off, it's nice to be around people that are not going to be antagonistic just because you're trying to be healthy. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're dropping all the wisdom, Dr. Goldhammer. Thank you. But yeah, if you could um, send me one of those letters... That would be great. I'm a pediatrician, so <laughs> no, it's great. All I, stress I love my job. All the time. I love my job. It's actually good. And I've learned how to moderate my anxiety in response to parental anxiety, which is a skill. It's a it's a big skill. Does it seem like in medicine that that pay is often disproportionately related to the amount of work you have to do? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although my husband is an internal medicine hospitalist and he he makes way more money than me, but I don't ever want to do his job. So I'm cool okay. with that. I'm cool with that. Okay. Um, l- let's talk a little bit about food. And, I, and I'm going to be selfish here because, you know, salt, oil, sugar, I really, sugar and oil, I have no problem eliminating from my life and my diet, but salt is really hard. So can you just give well, me, talk about can you give me so a hard. pass on that one? Can yeah. I just have so salt and ta- be fine? No. So the deal with salt is really interesting. It's an essential nutrient without which you die. So your body is really designed to detect it, even at very small quantity. It's one of the reasons why vegetables are consumed by people, because there's a very small amount of sodium in there that's essential. And in fact, just like you get all the carbohydrate and all the and the fats you need from a whole plant food diet, you also get all the sodium you need. You get that 500 to 1,000 milligrams of sodium naturally in the food. You don't need to add salt any more than you need to add sugar, or you need to add oil or fat to your food in order to be able to get nutritional sound intake. And the problem with salt are a few. Now, you might say, well, why would salt make people fat? Because there's no calories in salt. 
it's sodium chloride. There's no calories, no energy in fat, but it does contribute to obesity. And the reason is because of what's called passive overeating. If you take a human being and, and eat to satiety or satiation, say rice, you'll eat a certain amount of rice. And at some point you feel full. You no longer have a desire to eat more rice. Well, if you take everything else being equal, take that same rice, but salt it up, you'll eat more rice before you reach that satiety point or that full point, because the sodium will stimulate dopamine production in the brain, artificially stimulate eating, and it leads to overeating. And so when you eat heavily salted foods, you eat more before you feel satisfied. And people don't have an, enough discipline to not overeat when their brain is being fooled by these drugs. And so as a consequence, getting the salt out of the diet helps with overeating. It also helps, think about your microbiome, the, the trillion creatures that live in your gut. Five pounds of organisms swimming around, eating, drinking, breathing, and defecating inside your intestinal tract right now. And what they poo in your gut could be toxic waste like TMA, which becomes trimethylamine oxidase and can cause colon cancer and problems. Or it could be vitamin K and stuff you need. And what determines what your bacteria poo in you is what you feed them. If you feed them meat, fish, fowl, eggs, and dairy products, uh, salt, oil, and sugar, you'll have completely different microbiome than the people that eat a whole plant food diet. A healthy gut probably has a thousand strain or more of different organisms. Um, animal uh, dominated diets have different organisms that are thought to be part of the problem. So one of the things you wanna think about is salt is a natural preservative. You salt meat and stuff so the bacteria don't eat it. Well, what do you think happens when you put a high sodium concentration into this active microbiome that's your intestinal tract? You think it has an effect? You betcha just like sugar has an effect and caffeine has an effect. And so we want to not pretend that we can take this chemical and take it in high concentration and not affect our microbiome, not affect our gut leakage, not affect our eat overeating, and particularly not affect our hypertension. A third of the population that are efficient salt stores are very vulnerable to the effect of sodium and getting rid of the salt is one of the most important things normalizing blood pressure. We already know that 70% of the people are overweight and that 63% of people by 60 are hypertensive and I'll guarantee that excess sodium intake is a contributing factor for many of those people. So other than making you fat and sick and dying prematurely, you know, you can believe what you want, but salt, excess salt has to go. Darn it. Hey, are you kind of curious about microgreens and including microgreens in your diet, but you're not sure where to start and you're not sure how to do it? I love my Hamama microgreen grower. It's so easy, it's so convenient. So this is how it works. Basically, they send you the kit and it has this little seed quilt, okay? And then you soak the seed quilt in the water and in a few days, you see your tiny little baby sprouts growing and a few days after that, you can start eating them and it's so fun. And you can tell them that you're eating them and they're really happy that you're eating them and your body's really happy that you're eating them. But here's the best part because I've told y'all before, I'm lazy. So I don't wanna have to use any mental energy that I don't need to. And they send you seed quilts every month. So you don't run out, you can change what seed quilts you want to try. So here's some examples of some of the seed quilts they have. Hearty broccoli, refreshing cabbage, energizing kale, spicy daikon radish, super salad mix. You can even get wheatgrass, you can get culinary cilantro, or even hot wasabi mustard. 
mustard. So there's lots to choose from. They have different flavors. They're so cute and they're health promoting. So you can get a good dose of antioxidants and it's really beautiful. I also use them for garnish when I'm making soups and salads at different bowls. You can impress your guests. But like I said, it's going to be low energy cost on your part and it's actually not that expensive either the other thing that i use from hamama is a green onion growing kit which is really cool because it can decrease your food waste so you buy the green onions and then the little part that has the root the white part at the bottom you stick it in these little holes and then you just put the water in there and it grows and then you can keep eating the same green onions you just go with your little scissors and you chop it off and you put it into your food so if you want to give it a try you've been curious about microgreens and different ways that you can grow your own food, check out Hamama. You can find it in my show notes for a link to get 15% off, or you can go to dryami.com forward slash shop so that you can find the link and get 15% off your first order. Happy growing. Do you love Veggie Doctor Radio, but you're sick of listening to ads? Join the Plantscription. The Plantscription is a monthly membership where you have access to ad-free episodes of Veggie Doctor Radio every week. But that's not all. You also have access to a monthly live Q&A with me and a monthly live book club. You also get access to writings and musings and free giveaways. It is such a great deal. Right now, it's only $5 a month to join the Planscription. If you want to join, go to planscription.substack.com or go to the show notes to follow the link. Join the Planscription today and join me in this plantastic community. Okay, so if you were to rank sugar, oil, and salt, and people were only going to give up one at a time, where would you start? Right. Well, it's like saying, which is better, dying from drowning or burning to death? Either way, you end up dead. So salt has problems, oil has problems, and sugar has problems. Now, oil is probably easier now because people understand the nine calorie per gram highly fractionated food product makes people fat. The fat you eat is the fat you wear, according to John McDougall. You can do a fat biopsy of a person and tell what kind of fat they've been consuming. So that a lot of people are kind of getting the handle on and willing to give up the oil. Now, sugar is pretty much universally agreed to be a problem. Even the dead Dr. Atkins people and all those guys that are into animal foods and all that, they still admit you shouldn't be eating sugar and refined carbohydrates. So I don't know of anybody that's pushing people to eat more sugar or refined carbohydrates, except maybe the American Dietitians Association or something. But, you know, other than some government agencies, I don't think anybody's encouraging people to eat sugar. Um, The hardest one is salt, because everywhere you go, people are vehemently defending sodium. I mean, I look at the criticisms I get mostly are that, oh, salt's good as long as it's the pink salt or the Himalayan salt or the guru blessed salt or whatever. (laughs) And that, you know, you got to have salt and salt's critically necessary, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think salt's the hardest one, particularly, you know, you can get oil free or you can get sugar free, you can get oil sugar free, but to get rid of everything, it's a bit of a challenge. Yeah. The good news is there are companies out there like Mama Says and Leafside and Well Your World that are making SOS-free foods available. There are cookbooks like our cookbook, the Health Promoting Cookbook and the Bravo and Bravo Express Cookbook and AJ and others that are making SOS-free recipes available to people. 
So it's getting easier. It's getting better. Uh, but it's we still got a little ways to go when it comes to SOS free eating. Yeah. I've tried twice and I make it three months and I feel like I neural adapt so quickly to being off sugar and oil is not a problem yes. at all. But yes. the salt, it's like my body well, keeps wanting it. What I would suggest it. you do is come and spend a week or two with us. Let's do a fast. Let's reboot your palate. And let's see if we can't get the salt out as well. And I think you may be shocked to find out that by the time you're done fasting, it takes about a month to neuroadapt to a low-salt diet on a low-sodium diet. But it happens very quickly <laughs> with fasting. fasting. Yeah. And so after fasting, people eat charred and they think, oh, they must have added salt to this. It's got the same amount of salt it ever did, but now you can taste it. Yeah. And we even did a study on taste neuroadaptation showing that what we thought was happening, that is neuroadapting, actually does happen. We detected minimum threshold, the salt and sugar, and we showed the change, not only in absolute detection of sodium and, and, and sugar, but also the hedonic response to foods, the likingness of salty, fatty, sugary, fatty food changes with fasting. So I challenge you to try to do a fast and see whether that won't break that last little hiccup in your optimum compliance to yeah. an SOS-free diet. No, because I do feel that salt is inflammatory for me. I can tell. Like, well, not just you. Everybody. I feel it. Like, I feel it. I'm so sensitive to that feeling in my joints now that I don't want to be there. But yeah, I, I will. I'll do it eventually when I have time <laughs> to go over there. Okay. So can you share with us real quick? Do you, what's your eating style like as far as fasting? Um, do you skip any meals or what kind of time restricted eating do you do? Okay. So I fast every day for between 12 and 16 hours, as close to 16 hours as possible. I don't eat three hours before I go to sleep at night. Um, every year, I hate fasting, by the way. Every year I fast. Um, it's awful. You can't play basketball. You can't do your normal activities. You have to rest. You have to, you know, it's, it's, it's that part I don't like, but it has a very profound effect, both physically as well as emotionally. And so I fast, it, like I, at, at healthy people that are not on meds or doing well, we fast for a week. If they're stable, that's it. Uh, if they have symptoms, we keep going however long it takes to resolve those symptoms. I'm a very boring faster, as are most of the people that work at True North uh, Health Center, because when you eat really healthily, fasting, nothing much terrible happens. It's pretty easy. Yeah. The worse you eat, the more drugs you're on, the more what I call entertaining fasting can be. <laughs> uh, and the more you fast, the easier fasting gets because you kick in those enzymes associated with fasting. So I fast, not much happens. I take it easy. I get through the process. I do it preventively because I think that that may be who gets the most benefit, people that are healthy. And, you know, for me, it's working. I'm 64 years old. I play basketball four times a week with people 20 to 40 years younger than I am. And I can already see them aging out as a consequence of their diet. You know, you can see the problems they're having. So uh, for, for me, it works well. Uh, and even though I don't like fasting, I do it. I do it every year, once a year. Well, you have your. Um, I eat at the True Health Center, so I have no trouble eating a whole plant food SOS free diet. We have oatmeal, fresh fruit, greens, lots of salads, steamed vegetables, potatoes, rice, and beans. We don't eat meat, fish, fowl, eggs, dairy products, oil, salt, or sugar. And so for me, it's easy because I work in a place where it's readily available all the time. That's awesome. I love it. That's so great. And it's good to hear that with your regimen and your lifestyle, even though you've been doing it far longer than any of us, because you learned, you saw the light so early on in your life that it can help you maintain function and you can do the activities that you enjoy, which is part of what makes life so fulfilling. And what a lot of us are after is that well-being and longevity. Okay. I want to do three rapid fire questions. 
and then we will finish up and you can tell us how we can find all of your information. Okay, so this is fasting, rapid fire questions. What is your favorite thing about fasting? Uh, the fact that sick people can get well and healthy people can stay that way and that the changes are so rapid that people can't deny the impact that it's had. Love it. What's your biggest fasting pet peeve? Well, I think the mistake that people make is they're too active in fasting or they don't get appropriate support. And so then they have a bad result and it makes fasting look bad. And so I'm a little bit defensive about uh, fasting itself. So I really want people, if you're going to fast, do it right. I love that. And what's one thing that you want people to know and understand about fasting? Health results from healthful living. So it's diet, sleep, and exercise. Fasting is just a facilitator. Forget about fasting if you're not going to get focused on diet, sleep, and exercise, because without diet, sleep, and exercise, you won't sustain the results. Mic drop. Perfect. I love that. Okay, Dr. Goldhammer, tell us where listeners can connect with you and how they can go about being seen as a patient at True North Health Center. Where do they go? Well, there's two websites. There's one, fasting.org, which is the fasting compendium website for the True North Health Foundation. And that's where all the studies and articles, for those of you that are interested in the technical materials, want to search the, all the articles on fasting back even before Index Medicus. We have a wonderful free service there, and you can get access to all the studies and articles and information that you might want, ours and other people's as well. Uh, for those of you that want to do a free phone conversation with me or learn about the center, you go to our website at truenorthhealth.com complete the registration forms, and I'll look forward to speaking to you on the phone. Awesome. So awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Goldhammer. Thank you for taking care of yourself and for doing this work for so long, for being so dedicated to helping patients and for spreading the knowledge and the wisdom. I truly appreciate it. I hope to learn from you sometime in the future. I am you know, setting myself up to live a long time. So I, I should have some time to get there. And I know you're still going to be going strong. So we'll meet up sometime in the future. So I appreciate well, I look forward to locking you up. Yeah. I, oh, yes. Can't wait. <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to it. So thank you so much for everything. Thank you for being on the fasting series. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.